welcome to the PVPC Sermon Podcast. Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Our scripture lesson for this Lord's Day is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, and Psalm 40, verse 4 and 6 through 8. Please stand in the honor of reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Hebrews chapter 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Psalm 40. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will. O oh my God, your law is within my heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Again, good morning and Merry Christmas. We're glad that you're here on this Lord's Day. Um, my name is Richard Cooper. If, if, if you're visiting with us, I'm on the pastoral staff here. I serve alongside a wonderful a group of elders and other staff in our church. And, um, and I know that no one has ever complained about a short sermon, just so you know. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not going to go through every one of those verses, but I want to get some things in your heart and your mind today. And then also we're going to do a little bit more singing and then uh, Todd Kinnear is also going to be uh, sharing a little bit as well in just a few minutes But I want you to think about those verses that were read. Um, Some of them are very familiar to us, uh, particularly the Luke passage. And many of us, when we've looked at the Christmas story, we tend to stick with the historical narrative. And and we know that pretty well, I think. Most of us would know that. Um, If you've been at church at all, or if you've read the Bible at all, most of us are familiar with those stories. What I want to do is talk to you about the true meaning of Christmas according to what Jesus said. Uh, when I read the Hebrews passage, it's, it's more on the theological uh, idea, and uh, I just, it caught my attention, and I thought I could uh, just touch on that and, and share at least three observations that come from that text that help us to understand more about what Christ said the true meaning of Christmas um, is, and, and I think that should be something that will encourage our hearts. But it's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 10, the very beginning, it says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, so we know that's what Advent is. It's the incarnation, Christ coming into the world. But then, this is what caught my attention. He said, Jesus said, so I can't think of a better place to go to find the true meaning of Christmas than to hear what our Savior said. And then he, he takes a passage of Scripture 
that is also in relation to Psalm 40. And, and, and we'll touch on that a few minutes as well. But I want you to think about um, just our culture in general. Um, I know there's a lot of Christmas moviegoers out there. I'm one of them. I love to hit the movies. And um, we took our grandkids, Trace and I did, to see uh, Migration. We lasted at least half of the movie before they were ready to roll at four and two. They don't last long. They do like playing with the buttons on the seat, though. You know, kind of recline and go back and forth. Kept shoveling popcorn into Forrest. He was fine for a while. M&M's worked for a while, and then we had to give up and, and leave. But um, the movies are great. And, and there are some classic movies that we're all familiar with, I think. Um, I know there's The Christmas Carol. I think the original story was like in 1843. Good old Ebenezer Scrooge gets visited by ghosts. Uh, Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. And then there's good old George Bailey, It's a Wonderful Life. I think that was in like 1946, give or take. Um, at least that's far as I can figure out. I, I watched the black and white version for a while. But George Bailey also got visited by Clarence, you know, the angel that was trying to keep him from, it's somewhat of a dark story, really, in some ways, um, of what George, he wasn't content on living at the bridge. But then I think one of my all-time favorites is, is the Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Um, I think 1966 was when the, the actual first movie or cartoon came out. And his name, I believe, was Theodore, I want to pronounce his name, Giesel, could be Geisel. Dr. Seuss is, is, is that writing name. But How the Grinch Stole Christmas, I think we've all seen that. Um, classic. But when you think about all the different movies that are out there at Christmas time, especially, you know, if you're a Hallmark TV movie person, oh my goodness, I call it the Velveeta factor. Um, it's on the scale of zero to 10, 10 being very cheesy. It's, it's like on the outer side of the 10. You can predict those movies, what's going to happen. Uh, but all these different movies that come out, whether it's Scrooge or George Bailey with It's a Wonderful Life or even The Grinch, the, um, the only movie that I know of, or a cartoon, that really spent really any time reading the scriptures is what? Peanuts. Charlie Brown had a very liberal quoting of Luke chapter 2. And all these other movies, they're good in some regards, and there's a good moral lesson in them, but they don't quite catch the, the true meaning of Christmas. Scrooge, what do you think? Don't keep everything to yourself. Share. Okay, that's great. That's a good thing. It's not bad, it's, but it's not the true meaning of Christmas according to Jesus. Look at George Bailey. Um, he kind of found out what it would be like if he had never existed, you know, and he loved his family and all. It's, it's good. It's a moral story that's good, but it's not the true meaning of Christmas according to Jesus. Good old Dr. Seuss with the Grinch. You remember some of the lines... Um, he spoke in rhyme, which I think was interesting, and his head wasn't screwed on just right. His shoes were too tight. His heart was two sizes too small. And then he says, as he was in his dog, I forgot his dog name, pulling the sleigh up the mountain, he talks about ribbons and tags and boxes and bags, and he realized that the Whoville people kept singing anyway without all their presents. And it's like, he says, Christmas doesn't come from a store. Perhaps it means a little bit more. Again, interesting stories to read, and, and I think a lot of times we get brought into the culture, and we have a very sentimental idea of Christmas, as precious as it is, um, the little baby in a manger, so cute, 
And it's just wonderful and sweet. And it's, it's nice. But when you read Hebrews 10, and it talks about Christmas according to Jesus, that's a very different idea. Again, listen again to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, okay, so we're, again, we're talking about the advent, the coming of Jesus, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. He said, sacrifices and offerings have not, you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Interesting, isn't it? So he's taking part of Psalm 40, and he's going back, and he's looking at the old covenant sacrifices. And he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure So we know that when we read the Old Testament, and Jesus is quoting, because again, remember it says, and this is the Christmas according to Jesus, it says, he, when Christ came into the world, he said, I don't know when he said it in his teaching at one of the synagogues, but he's, he's quoting Psalm 40, and he's talking about the sacrificial system and the law. And so we know that that sacrifice that was made to the priest in the temple it was done daily, constantly, and they were never able to take away sin. Temporarily it did, but not what Jesus can do. And he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So we're talking about the incarnation. We're talking about the physical body that Jesus came in, Philippians 2, the humiliation, the king of kings coming in the form of a man. That's where I think it's the mystery of Christmas. It's the great miracle. There's this divinity taking on humanity without ceasing to be divine. You've heard us talk about that before. It's hard to understand. It's a mystery within a mystery. And we won't ever understand it this side of heaven, but we're called to believe. And so I want you to move away from the, the sentimentality, if you will, or the feelings or the warm fuzzies that Hallmark stories give us. And I want you to think about this Christmas according to Jesus and what he says. Because it says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said. So Jesus is speaking. He's talking about sacrifices and offerings. And he himself is the sacrifice. I'm going to give you some, at least three observations, but before I do that, I want to encourage you to think about these incredible um, truths that come out of Hebrews 10, and they're in the context of Psalm 40, but also, again, remember in Galatians, it says, in the fullness of time, God came. At that particular point in time was right when, when God sent his son And Ephesians talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Other translations say the endless treasures available in Christ, the unfathomable riches of Christ, things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ, the riches of Christ, which are too great to understand. And then Amplified Version talks about the unending, boundless, fathomless, incalculable, exhaustless riches of Christ, wealth which no human could ever have searched out. 
So these three observations are, are wrapped up in those, those riches that come from Christ. And for those of us that have been a part of a church, if we're a follower of Christ, um, we begin to grow into that more and more and the understanding of what the gospel is and these, these wonderful, incredible things that, that Christ has done for us. But here's, here's one observation that comes from Hebrews chapter 10, is that Jesus came into the world for a purpose, not to make you feel good, not to give you the warm fuzzies, not to make you smile. Um, he came into the world to do the will of God. That was his purpose. That's what it says. And so what was the will of the Heavenly Father? His will was for Christ to be the Savior of mankind, which meant that he would die on a cross. It's not the warm Hallmark story that we sometimes watch. The, the brutal uh, death on a cross. And so in Psalm 40, he's, he's taking us back to the sacrificial system where they're sacrificing animal after animal after animal that never could completely take away sin. It did temporarily. But now we have the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who comes to take away the sin of the world. So the first observation that comes from Hebrews 10 is that Jesus came into this world for a specific purpose. You know what the purpose is? To die for your sin, to die for my sin. But not only to die for my sin, but to take my sin upon himself on the cross. And then, as we've talked about here so many times, to give us his righteousness. That's the other part that I just, it's hard to understand. The mystery of that, where on the cross, Christ takes my sin, that was the will of the Father. When you think about parts of, um, and this is a, a particular text um, in Isaiah 53, because when we, when we go to Hebrews, the writer is constantly going back and forth between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And in Christ, the New Covenant is ushered in. There's no more need for sacrificing of animals because Christ is a sacrifice once for all. Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Think about that just for a minute. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin, the transgression, the trespass, the evil heart has on him, on Jesus. That's the part. The torture on the cross is enough, but to think about bearing the sin of past, present, and future, that's, that's the unfathomable part to think about how Christ could do that. But God did, laid it on his son. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. First Peter talks about even when he was reviled, did not revile in return like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It says in verse 8 of Isaiah 53, by oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And then it says in verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord. Think about that. It was the will of God for him to crush his own son. Again, we think of Christmas and it's, it's, it's warm and it's, it's good. There's moral things and we enjoy our family, yes. But the true meaning of Christmas, brothers and sisters, beloved, according to Jesus, is something very different than what our culture teaches us. It was the will of God for him to send his son to be our sacrifice. 
That's, that's a fascinating observation from Hebrews 10. Secondly, and we've already touched on this a little bit, but he comes into the world with knowledge that he is the perfect one. He is the only one that can fulfill the Father's purpose. No one else can. I cannot die for anybody in my family to take away their sin, nor can you, no matter how much you love your children. We are not perfect. Christ was the only perfect one to fulfill the Father's purpose. Jesus, the Holy Son of God, was the only perfect one suited to carry out the Father's plan. So who can pay? In 1 John 1, 1, it says that Jesus is called the word of life. Think about that. He's the word of life. He's eternal life. He is salvation. He is alive. He gives eternal life. And we are debtors. I want you to listen very carefully to the words of 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, and it takes you to the pre-incarnate Christ before he even became a man, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning this word of life. So these are people who have heard Jesus, They've seen Jesus. They've touched Jesus. It says in verse two, the life was made manifest, meaning Jesus, life in him. And it says again, we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. And again, they says it again in verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that your joy may be complete. Christ is the only one that can be your sacrifice. The only way that you can have communion with God is through Jesus. So Christ understood what his purpose was because it was the will of God. And you remember when he was in the garden He said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. All these different places in the Old Testament, Lord, I want to do your will. Jesus, in his humanity, followed perfectly the will of God. And he was the only one who was suited for that perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice once and for all. I no longer have to go to the temple and offer an animal sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus gave himself. He fulfilled all of the the Old Testament prophecies. And then the the last observation I'll make is it's taken from Isaiah 53 and and, and parts of Hebrews 10 and also parts of Psalm 40 and even Psalm 22, which would be more of a messianic psalm. But it says in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, not on the screen, it just says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to crush Jesus. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He sees, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And then in verse 11, it, it, it struck me as when he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's when the, the weight of the sin of the world is poured upon him. It says, out of the anguish of his soul, now, listen to these two, listen to these phrases that go with this in verse 10 of Isaiah 53 and verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, 
he shall see and be delighted. He shall be satisfied. That's amazing. For the joy set before him, Hebrews says, he endured the cross. Hebrews 12. And who's the joy? You and me, his people. We are his joy. And it says by the Lord's will, he was satisfied, he was delighted. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, meaning the holy, perfect son of God, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. So Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He was the only one perfectly suited because he was holy. No sin, perfectly holy, righteous. But then also, I I find it hard to even think about the fact that it says, the the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied, be delighted. God was delighted to do that because of you and because of me. And again, Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And again, brothers and sisters, beloved, you are his joy. That's why he died. I find it interesting um, from that Dr. Seuss movie. Um, I, I just checked out all the, I was wanting to find out all the, the great sayings that come out of Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. The one with Jim Carrey is a little bit creepy, but I'm, not, I'm more of the cartoon side. But there's one particular section that you'll never see on TV. I didn't know it existed. They left it out, and I can tell you why. There's a British slang that is used by this writer of the Grinch. And remember when he's talking to the Grinch about you're a sly one, Mr. Grinch, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch, you have garlic in your soul, you know, he won't touch you with a however long the pole is, and he just constantly goes through all those little rhythmic rhymes about how bad he is, termites in his teeth, etc. This one right here you won't see. He says, you're a rotter, Mr. Grinch, R-O-T-T-E-R. Never heard that word. It's a British slang, rotter. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. Listen to, listen to it. You're the king of sinful sots, S-O-T-S. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots, Mr. Grinch. Your soul is an appalling dump heap overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of rubbish imaginable mangled up in tangled up knots. Did you hear that one on the cartoon? I didn't. But you know what that describes? It describes your heart without Jesus. It describes my heart without Jesus. It really does. We are rotters apart from Christ. So this this Christmas, according to, to Jesus, it's worth grasping. It's worth understanding. Because Christmas truly does give us grace and hope. We're saved by grace and by faith alone. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that your son died on the cross that we might have newness of life, even though we were rotters. Lord, you loved us enough to send your son and he followed your will perfectly because he was the only sinless one that could take away the sin of the world. 
And the amazing thing is, Father, that you and Christ himself delighted in doing so. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Those are hard things to understand. It's not always the warm fuzzies, and it's not all the the sentimental things that we so sort of grab hold of. But from this particular theological text in Hebrews, Father, I pray that you would help us to grasp a little bit deeper uh, of the gospel message, that we are sinful people in need of grace, that you alone are the way of salvation. And Father, I know too in my own heart, the the more I grow in, in you, the more I grow in my relationship with you and my communion with you, Father, I see the sinfulness of my own heart. We truly are rotters. I am a rotter in need of grace, in need of your mercy. And Lord, thank you that you provide it. Thank you that you have told us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So Father, this Christmas, I pray that you would remind all of us of that wonderful truth that your son came into this world to give his life as a ransom for many, to give his life as a a ransom for rotters, in a sense. Lord, we are grateful. We praise your name. Amen. Pontevedra Presbyterian Church is a community of believers united by an ocean of grace. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please visit pvpc.com for more information. We would love to have you join us on Sunday.